This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. In a string of coastal towns to the north and south of Sydney, discontent is brewing. You've got to say bugger off, Bowen! That's my suggestion! You've got to say bugger off, Bowen! With paddle-outs, Facebook groups and protests, one attended by more than a 1,000 people. The message? Offshore wind farms aren't welcome here. We all believe in renewables and a cleaner, greener future for our children and grandchildren. But do we have to destroy our marine environment and change our whole way of life to do it? No! The Albanese government says that these farms are key to Australia's renewable future. Offshore wind is jobs rich and energy rich. And offshore wind is expected to create 3,000 to 8,000 jobs a year uh, when it's up and running. Some say that genuine community concern has been hijacked by a misinformation campaign that claims wind turbines kill whales. Today, why are whales at the centre of the offshore wind farm debate? It's Thursday, the 16th of November. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So, Adam, can you tell me about the kind of misinformation that's swirling around offshore wind farms right now? I think it's sort of a story of social media and the impact that social media can have and how it builds on itself. Adam Morton is Environment Editor at Guardian Australia. There are about uh, nearly 20 Facebook groups that have been set up uh, since April about offshore wind in New South Wales, in the Hunter and Illawarra regions. Most of them are opposed to offshore wind farm development. Within that, there are obviously genuine concerns and reasonable arguments mixed with some outlandish misinformation. Probably the most obvious egregious case is a fake academic article that's been shared on one of the pages, which has been done up to look like a real article from a real journal that claimed that the offshore wind projects in New South Wales would kill 400 whales a year. It's a complete fake. It was said to be from the University of Tasmania. It doesn't exist. It never actually appeared in the journal. And and the editors of that journal, which is called Marine Policy, they live locally and they've come out and said, look, there is no evidence to back this up and we've certainly never published research that said this. Mm. And that page did take that 
fake article down. But it's sort of an example of some of the misinformation and some of it doesn't pretend to be backed up by serious science. There's a billboard in Port Stephens in The Hunter which shows a dead whale washed up on the beach in front of wind turbines that are really close to shore and it says stop offshore wind farms in Port Stephens. The implication being this will be the ramification of that. There are similar posters in other parts of the New South Wales coast and on social media this sort of stuff is shared a great deal. There are some strong links with similar claims from the US that are being included where there's been a similar campaign against offshore wind farms, particularly earlier this year. Um, We see clips shared from Fox News in the US, some emotive images of dead whales on the New Jersey coast, which scientists in the US have said there's no evidence to suggest that they are due to offshore wind or at least even the initial work on preparing to build an offshore wind farm. But we've had seen similar claims around that in the US. And there are also links to things that former US President Donald Trump has said. An economy based on wind. I never understood wind, and I know windmills very much. And they say the noise causes cancer. You tell me that one, okay? You know, the thing makes it so... And of course, it's like a graveyard for birds. He made this completely baseless claim that what he calls windmills off the coast were driving whales a little batty. The windmills are driving them crazy. They're driving, they're driving the whales, I think, a little batty. And they're washing up on shore at levels never seen before. And they want to stop your boats one in 50 years. Can you imagine that? And leading to increased deaths. And um, yeah, official US scientific agencies have said there's no evidence to back that up. That more likely causes uh, entanglements and vessel strikes. Now, before we go any further, I think we need to fact check this core claim, right, Adam, that offshore wind farms harm marine life and specifically whales. Is there any evidence for that? Well, there are plenty of scientists who say there is not evidence to say that offshore wind farms pose a specific threat to whales or have killed whales in great numbers in other parts of the world. And there are significant offshore wind developments, particularly in Europe and north of the UK, um, and that's not been the history there. Now, obviously, every place where you build them will have its own local environment and local environmental concerns. And the Australian East Coast is not Northern Europe. Uh, And there is a whale migration path up the Australian East Coast. But we've seen both scientists and major conservation groups who have spent a lot of their history campaigning for the protection of whales and other marine species like Greenpeace and the Australian Conservation Foundation coming out and saying there is no evidence to back up these claims that we're going to see dead whales washing on the beaches because of these developments. Mm. The government is really quite conscious of these uh, claims that have been made about whales and Chris Bowen, the climate change and energy minister, has visited the area and tried to address them directly. On whale migration, whales coexist with wind farms around the world, offshore wind farms around the world. Whales are smart animals. They can uh, navigate around oil rigs, gas rigs, cargo ships, cruise ships, offshore wind turbines. Peter Dutton and other federal coalition members have weighed into the wind farm issue quite a bit of late. What have they had to say? Yeah, I think that it's fair to say there's been a really opportunistic approach from the federal coalition to this. It's worth 
stepping back into the last term of parliament under the Morrison government and remembering that they were promoting the value of developing this industry. But now we're seeing uh, senior coalition MPs and some with really big profiles visiting these regions in New South Wales to fan opposition to these developments. Uh, Peter Dutton visited the area twice in October up around Port Stephens. I mean, this is not a man who has spent a lot of time in his political career expressing concern about protecting the environment. And in this case, he's now concerned about the whales and dolphins and seabirds. I do think this is an absolute travesty. And I do think when you go out into the waters uh, and see the natural beauty, uh, the bird life, uh, all of that which is at risk, uh, when you look at uh, you know the whales and uh, the mother and the calf that we saw out there, the dolphins, all of that is at risk. Hasn't presented new evidence to suggest what the risks will be. Um, so it does look particularly opportunistic and another way to sort of uh, build discontent with the government within a certain community where there is concern about new development. I mean, where, where is this sort of concern when we're developing new oil fields, gas fields, coal mines, other developments? So, yes, it's been a strong pushback from the coalition. I don't think local opposition started with the coalition or is there just because of them by any means, but they have seen to leap on it and make the most of it. Adam, as you've mentioned, a lot of the concern is about the proposed development off the shore of New South Wales at the moment, but this is a national plan from the Albanese government. There's sites all around the country. Can you tell me about that plan and a, a little bit about offshore wind farms in general? Yeah, so offshore wind farms are massive. In the ocean, they are either attached to the ocean floor, the seabed, or they in some cases can float. The tip of these blades of these turbines can reach up 300 metres into the sky. So this is huge. This is, you know, bigger than a sporting field, much bigger than a sporting field. Mm. They are a particularly powerful form of renewable energy generation. They tend to be more efficient than onshore wind farms. There's a more consistent source of wind over the ocean. There's fewer um, physical obstructions. Right, the sea is windy. Sea is a windy place, right? And... So their capacity for what they could provide as part of Australia's transition is potentially great. The Albanese government is proposing six offshore wind farm zones around the country. It's declared two, uh, one in Gippsland in Victoria, where there hasn't been anywhere near this level of opposition uh, that we've seen in New South Wales. Um, and then we've had one declared in uh, the Hunter, Newcastle-ish. There's one currently that the consultation period has just finished in the Illawarra around Wollongong, south of Sydney. That's not yet been declared. And then there are other zones in that have just been announced, but for consultation, um, one in Bass Strait, just north of Tasmania, and another one that has been contentious just in southwest Victoria. There's also one proposed for WA that hasn't been opened for consultation yet. Right, so the next cabs off the rank essentially are these two New South Wales proposals and, as you say, they've been controversial. What are the kind of genuine community conversations and concerns that people are raising? Okay, so what does it mean for tides and swells? What does it mean for fisheries and their ability to access parts of the ocean and whether the, the local stocks, the catch, will be the same? What does it mean for tourism? There, You know, there's whale-watching and, and then there's the environmental concerns and then there's the concern about lack of consultation. Now, the government would say that 
consultation in the Illawarra, for example, was extended and open for three months and people had a chance to put in submissions and their views will be taken into account. But quite a few of the locals who have joined the opposition to the wind farm zone say they did not know about it for a long, big part of that time. They only heard about it belatedly. They felt like they found it hard to get a good answer about what was really going on, where was the opportunity to speak directly with people from the government. And they were concerned that the government has decided that there will be an offshore wind zone here and the consultation is about where it is, which they didn't feel was genuine consultation. They weren't being given a real say about what will be a change in their part of the country. Is it likely that an offshore wind farm would impact things like tourism and things like commercial fishing, which are big lifelines for some of these coastal communities? I wouldn't want to say black and white that no one's affected because that's putting a lot of faith in government to really look after every last person and I wouldn't do that with any government. With any development this size, there is the possibility of some impacts, but we have heard in the evidence in Parliament when the legislation was passed from Angus Taylor, the then coalition spokesperson, that there is the experience in other parts of the world that offshore energy industries can coexist with shipping and fisheries and other industries. There's no reason to think that that wouldn't also be possible in Australia, but obviously it will depend on placement of these wind farms should they go ahead and how it's managed. And those details, you know, will need to be properly considered. Mm. A big concern that locals are expressing as well is just generally that these wind farms are a bit of an eyesore. How legitimate is that concern? And, you know, we won't, don't want this development. It's going to lower the value of our, our beachside properties. So, look, we're talking quite a long way offshore for these developments. In the Hunter, we're talking 20 kilometres plus from shore. In the Illawarra, in the area that's not yet declared, it starts about 10 kilometres out. Now, of course, these turbines are huge and they will have lights on top to identify where they are at night. So I don't think we can say that nobody will see anything, but they're not going to be you know, right in your face when you go down to the beach or go out in your boat until you get out quite some distance. I think that there has been, and it's reasonable to assume that there would be some concern from people who live on the coast about what it'll mean for their view and maybe even their property price. But it seems unlikely that properties are going to be affected. But people are understandably concerned about change, I think. I mean, that's a natural human response. But this is a problem we're seeing with renewable energy across the country right now. We need a a massive build out of renewable energy, solar farms and wind farms and electricity transmission on land. And offshore wind may be a part of that. And we're going to have to make some tough decisions because the coal plants are going to shut and we need clean energy and these are going to have to be built and there will be trade-offs. That's not necessarily always going to be an easy conversation, but it's a very real one. Next, the people backing offshore wind farms. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. So, Adam, how important are offshore wind farms in the broader scheme of things, in the Albanese government's plan for this big energy transition that we're embarking upon right now? I think that's not entirely clear. I think they seem to be becoming more important. Chris Bowen, the climate change and energy minister, has said that offshore wind is important to meeting the government's target of getting to 82% renewable electricity by 2030. One of the key measures in getting Australia to 82% renewable energy by 2030, which is the Albanese government's plan, will be offshore wind. We're way behind the game, way behind the rest of the world in producing wind off our coastline. Again, we have a lot of catching up to do. But the reality is, even if these wind farms were to come online offshore, they would be very close to that date and most likely after that date. We're talking years away before development would happen. We're at a very early stage here. The overwhelming majority of the renewable energy in Australia, the expectation has it would be built on land. Now, we've seen in uh, the last year that some of the challenges of that because of local opposition. So let's look at all options that we have. Um, but what we are seeing is it's harder and harder to get the social license and support to build renewable energy. So we're going to be trying to uh, make the most of every opportunity we can. And over time, offshore wind may fit into that. Um, another thing that is worth saying about offshore wind is that the industry globally isn't doing well at the moment. We've seen some major projects cancelled, increases in interest rates, issues with supply chains, have seen construction costs blow out. Uh, so it's a challenging area to develop internationally, which is just one more th factor to consider when we wonder whether this will actually be a major in industry in Australia. So Adam, we've spoken a lot about the local opposition, but is there also support locally and nationally growing around these, these offshore wind farms? There is also significant local support. Uh, it's not all opposition. And that support has come from industry. There's a significant steel industry in the region, uh, from unions, local MPs and councillors, uh, the University of Wollongong, and environment groups, uh, national and local environment groups. And, of course, there's also locals who support it. One of the other locals who has is trying to make the case for offshore wind is a fellow named Sean Moran, who's set up or helped set up a Facebook group called Good for the Gong. Um, he's an engineer and says he's not blindly positive about offshore wind developments. You know, you can't have a development of that scale that doesn't impact anything and that should be considered. But he believed there was an opportunity, both in terms of addressing the climate crisis 
and in terms of jobs and industry within the region, these are obviously massively complex uh, developments to build and the jobs during construction would be significant. And he was concerned that misinformation might cost that opportunity to the area in which he lives. It sounds like Sean Moran and others are trying to think big, trying to think about this big national picture where Australia is at the start of this enormous energy transition and there's a real desire amongst some for genuine argument and debate about how that happens. And it is getting waylaid, you know, put off track by misinformation and some political point scoring. How do we have these conversations in a better way, Adam? How do we talk about this change in a way that brings people along? Look, I I mean, this is not a direct answer, but I think that we've spent so long in this country fighting the climate wars over whether we should act or not, that there has been an assumption in some quarters that once we'd cleared the hurdles in Canberra that led to that beginning that, and we just do it. But of course, every, every project or nearly every project is its own hurdle. And obviously, can't you can't bring every person with you um, on this change. But we need to start from a point of view of assuming not everyone is going to be in the same place you are, looking them in the eye, hearing their concerns, explaining why this change is necessary, being honest about what we know and don't know about the impacts and then what steps will be taken to limit them and being very clear about the benefits and the alternatives and in some cases the lack of alternatives. Coal power is going to shut. We need clean energy in this country to replace it. We need uh, jobs and industries that build around that to give people opportunities and we need to minimise genuine uh, damage that could be done to people's lives and to the natural environment. Of course, there's also a line in that when governments um, need to also say, well, we've given you fair opportunity and we've given our case and and we now need to move on because we will need urgent action. And that's a really challenging balancing act. I'm not sure we're getting it right at the moment as a country. That was Adam Morton, Environment Editor at Guardian Australia. I do recommend the amazing feature piece written by Adam, Jordan Beasley and Ariel Bogle titled How a False Claim About Wind Turbines Killing Whales is Spinning Out of Control in Coastal Australia. In that piece, you can see some of the protests and some of the supporters that are rallying around this issue. We've linked to that on the Full Story page. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow Full Story wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Jacob Wallace, Joe Koning, Krishna Lutria and Daniel Simo, who also did the sound design and mixing. Our theme music is by Joe Koning. The executive producer was Hannah Parks. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.